Well, in the time that we have before we uh, participate in communion together, I just want to share a brief message here uh, out of Romans 8, 1 through 6, entitled this message, Freedom in Christ. When I was a kid, I just wanted to have fun. For the most part, this meant that I was always looking for something to entertain me. While I had a pretty clear understanding of right and wrong, it really didn't particularly care to me whether I was doing right or wrong. One of the things that I loved to do as a child was play in the snow. I'd dig tunnels through snow banks, and there was this huge hill at Pinebrook Golf Club that we used to ride sleds down, and on a good day with a good line, we could catch air at the bottom. I also like to have snowball fights. We'd uh, make a snow fort, and I'd stock up snowballs, and I'd attack my brothers and the other neighborhood kids. But then I found something that was even more fun for me. Perhaps taking my cue from the Saturday morning cartoons of Tom and Jerry and, of course, the Roadrunner, I learned that launching snowballs at moving vehicles was a lot of fun. It was also challenging because you had to figure out how fast the car was going so you could throw it at the right time right in front of it. And I got pretty good. I'd hide behind a a fence or a tree so I wouldn't be seen, and then I'd launch a snowball at the car. Sometimes I'd have one of my brothers be a lookout and tell me when a car was coming and when to throw the snowball. One time I recall hiding behind a fence while my brother hid behind a tree on the other side of the fence. I grabbed one of my pre-made snowballs that I had sitting on my pile. It was nice and it was hard. A crust of ice was glimmering in the sun as it formed on it. And so when my brother said a car was coming, I threw one as high as I could to challenge myself with my aim and the timing towards the roadway. It wasn't until I heard the crack of glass that I realized that I had hit a car's windshield. My brother came running around the fence, and we both took off running in different directions. It turns out that the car that I hit was a police car. I should probably... I should probably also mention at this point that the fence that I was standing behind was the one that enclosed my own backyard. I wanted to have fun. I didn't say I was particularly smart. So it didn't take a detective to know who and where the snowball had come from. After the police officer had caught my brother running around the side of the house and went in and talked to my mom, I finally came out of the tunnel that I had previously dug into the snowbank in our driveway. I have no idea what happened following that event. I can't recall if I got into trouble, if my parents had to pay for the windshield, or if the police ever identified from which tree along the, that, along the road that piece of ice fell at exactly the right time to fall upon the police car. That was my story, and I'm still sticking to it. I share this story as I think about how God deals with sin. Well, I could run and hide from my mother and from the cops, 
What I didn't realize then was that I couldn't hide from God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for what you've already accomplished this morning. I thank you once again for Adult and Teen Challenge being here, for blessing us, Father, with the songs and sharing. That was really a, a testimony and singing of God's goodness, of the changed lives that can only come from a relationship with you, us surrendering our lives and allowing you to take control. So I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for our ability to hear from you in the testimonies that were shared. And I thank you now, Lord, that we can open your word. For your word is truth. Your word is the foundation of everything that we are called to be as followers of you. And so, Lord, may your word come forth now in power and in victory. And, Father, may we submit ourselves to hearing from you, Lord. Nobody needs to hear from me, least of all me. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take control, that you would bring forth the word this morning. Less of me and more of you, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I look forward to what you are going to do as we prepare to come before you at the Lord's table. And so we give this all to you in praise, glory, and honor to the only one who is deserving. And we ask you these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was guilty of destroying that police car's windshield. I did it. No amount of lying, hiding, or blaming others would erase the truth of that. I was guilty. Whether the police or my mother believed me didn't matter. It didn't even matter if they were able to prove anything. I did it. I was guilty. There's an old saying in prosecutorial law, it doesn't matter if he's guilty. It only matters if we can prove he's guilty. But that's man's understanding of guilt. God's understanding is far different. And we are going to take our time now before we partake in the Lord's Supper to explore this as we open Romans 8, 1 through 6. I'll read that for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. As a child, I learned that it really only matters if you get caught. It doesn't matter who you are. It only matters what you can get away with. The problem with this narrative is that I was already caught. I was already prosecuted and found guilty. I was, as they say, a dead man walking. 
This is why it's so awesome to have our friends here from Adult and Teen Challenge. As we think about their testimonies that were shared, we see lives that have been changed. We see transformation. We hear about renewal. We see, most of all, freedom. And freedom has a source, which is our first point this morning, set free from sin and death. Again, verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. As we discussed last week, the word therefore always refers to something that previously was stated. And since context is always needed to truly understand Scripture, we must go back in order to go forward. And since we're in Romans 8, let's take a quick look back at Romans 7. Here, Paul makes some enlightening statements that help us to understand human nature, the power of sin and the purpose of the commandments that God gave to Israel. In the latter half of verse 18 and verse 19, Paul says these remarkable words, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul here is laying the framework to show that righteousness isn't found in the commandments of God. It's not found in our attempts to be good or to do good. But even those things that the world defines as good is sinful. In fact, what Paul is saying here in chapter 7 is that was God's entire point in providing Israel the law. Verse 7 reads, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul explains that the law, God's commands, were meant to produce an understanding within us that we are powerless to prevent sin. Verse 12 and 13 of chapter 7 clarify this for us. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul is making clear that even when his own desires are for something that is good and righteous, like following God's commands, He knows that in his own power, he can only accomplish sinful desires, whether that be arrogance, pride, or judgment. Remember that Paul was a Pharisee. He was in a position as a man of the law, and he sought to kill those who were followers of Christ for their belief that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. So Paul recognized that even his own attempt to be righteous, to follow the law, will lead him to sin. So if I'm only capable of producing sin, either in my lack of following God's precepts or in my attempt to follow them, 
Am I doomed? Paul is setting us up for the answer to that question, which he answers in verse 24 and 25 when he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord which brings us back to the words of Romans 8, 1 and 2. And so, therefore, when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Our own sinful desires have condemned us, either through our denial of what, who God is or our own attempt to be righteous by following what we believe is needed to be good. But Paul reminds us that there is no condemnation for those who are friends of Jesus. Is that right? How about there's no condemnation for those who love like Jesus? Or there's no condemnation for those who Talk about Jesus, pray to Jesus, wear a cross or have a tattoo of Jesus. How about those who want to talk about what Jesus can do for them? The answer to that question is clearly no, that's not what Paul is saying. What we need to understand clearly is that all those things leave us condemned if we are not in Christ Again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Last week, we opened Colossians chapter 2, and we spoke about our identity in Christ, what it truly means to be in Him, to be in Christ. In order to be in Christ, we need to receive Jesus to receive him for who he is, not who we want him to be, but for who he truly is. I would encourage you to listen to that message if you missed it. If we miss who Jesus is, we remain condemned. We remain in sin. We remain in bondage. And we will never be set free from the flesh, which is point two this morning. Set free from the flesh. Verses 3 through 6a. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Paul here returns to conclude his statement about the purpose of God's command, the law, which he started in chapter 7. To be clear, when Paul refers to the law, he's referring to what we would consider the Old Testament. He states that what God intended was good and it was righteous. The laws of God are good. But once again, our sinful desires have no power to accomplish the purpose of the law. Even when we desire to do good, apart from Christ, these desires are tainted by sin, and we can only therefore produce sin. So God did what our sinful desires could not accomplish. 
he sent Jesus in the likeness of us to show us that the righteous requirement of the law could be fulfilled not by our own intelligence, not by our own efforts, not by some new technique, but only by walking in the Spirit. And so how do we walk in the Spirit? By being in Christ. It all returns to Jesus, sent of the Father, born of a virgin, lived the perfect sinless life, took on sin in death on the cross. He was raised three days later by the power of God, ascended to the throne at the right hand of the Father, and he's returning soon. That is our Jesus, and he and he alone is the one that can set us free, which is our final point this morning before we move to communion. Point three, set free in Christ. We see this in verse 6b. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Paul reminds us over and over in every letter that he writes that the desires of our flesh will produce death while the desires of the Spirit produces life. Later in Romans 12, 2, Paul consolidates all this into a remarkable statement. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In his podcast, The Briefing, Albert Moeller, who I've shared with you in the past, discussed that recent research has revealed that one in seven people in the U.S. have taken antidepressants. Moeller's point, and mine as well, is not about the fact that people are taking antidepressants, but that there's a real problem with depression, or that some do need to take medication, or that there's situations and circumstances where therapy can absolutely be helpful. The point is actually about how our culture so easily submits to medication and therapy as the answer to any of life's difficulties and challenges. And my question is whether we as a church seek our need for therapy above and beyond our need for Christ. This is not a judgment on those who are on medication or receiving therapy of some kind. I'm not saying that you should stop either. My question is, Where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? Paul tells us that what is good and acceptable and perfect is to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the power of Christ. And then we can set our minds on the spirit, which is life and peace. Isn't that what we all truly desire? Our minds to be renewed to find life and peace. As we move to communion, I want to remind us all of how we can be renewed, restored, forgiven, and find the life and peace that we seek. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and wine and said, eat this, drink this, in remembrance of me. He did so for us to remember what was accomplished not just accomplished on that night or on the cross, but what was accomplished in the perfect plan and will of God 
from creation on through eternity. The fall was always part of his plan and his purpose. Why? Because it brought him glory. The suffering of the Jews in captivities over and over was always part of his plan and his purpose. Why? Because it brought him glory. The beheading of John the Baptist, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the suffering of Jesus on the cross, and him being placed dead in a tomb was always part of his plan and his purpose. Why? Because it brought him great glory. And Jesus, who laid down his life, took it up again three days later and rose from the tomb. Why? Because it brought him great glory. And God desires that you should come to him, offering the forgiveness of sins, the renewal of your mind, the restoration of your spirit, and freedom in Christ. Why? It's not because it brings you glory. It's because it brings him great glory. Let's pray. Father God, we want to bring you glory in all that we do. All that we do as a church, all that we do as families, all that we do as individuals, Father. And the greatest thing that we can do to bring you glory is to surrender our lives to you, is to submit ourselves to what you are doing, to seek your will and to surrender our own. Father, we want to experience you. We want to experience God in a powerful and dramatic way. And we can't do that, Lord, if we're seeking our own way. So, Father, just as testimony was shared about brothers who have been called into the ministry and are trusting in you, not of their own desires to go here or go there, but to trust in you and to follow your leading, Lord, Let that be the desire of our hearts. Father, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, my heart's desire is that we would grab a hold of that, truly understand and know what that means. And Father, there may be those who are here this morning who are not in you, and I just ask, Father, that today would be the day of salvation. I ask, Lord, that their hearts would be wrenched. They would see who you are, the glory of the risen Christ. And in that, they would see themselves. And Lord, there is no comparison. And so, Father, may conviction come, may repentance be the response, for repentance is the key ingredient to salvation. So, Father, if that is so for this day, for somebody who is here, Lord, let that be your will, and may that bring you great glory. And so as we move to communion, Father, I just ask that you would continue to move upon our hearts in a powerful way. As we come to your table, Lord, we're coming as humble servants. We're coming as those who 
need you. That's what we do when we come to the table, is to eat of you and to drink of you because you are sustenance. You are life. And so, Father, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.